This is called Conversations About God. Uh, I'm here with Casey Stagg. That's David Bowden. Red Ryan McKenzie. Wow. Red Ryan. Red, <laughs> red, there we go. Um, so we're talking about 1 John today. We're going to dive into that letter from uh, the Apostle John. And um, we're in specifically, mainly chapter 1. We'll probably get on some rabbit trails and talk about other things. But um, really cool stuff. If you have not seen uh, the sermon from Northwest Church, Pastor Peter Brunton did a, a really neat um, talk on First John and really dove into some stuff there. So specifically, it was neat. It was neat, neat job, Pastor Peter. Neato guy. It was neat of you. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> it was a great teaching. And um, talking about the historical evidence, the theological evidence, the moral and social tests of the gospel and the claims of the gospel. So we're going to talk a little about those. And um, also. I heard this question recently, and I thought I'd, I'd ask you guys: uh, Would you rather? This is completely related. Don't worry. This is this is right on what we're talking about today. Would you rather be attacked by every dog that sees you, or would you rather be attacked by every bird that sees you? I would definitely say dog because I feel like there's way more birds out there that lay their eyes on me in a day than dogs that lay their eyes on me. How many birds are looking at you? How many birds are looking at you? And I can't stand birds. And and you're always going to have to be paranoid looking up. So I would definitely say dogs. And have you seen a golden eagle before? Like, they they snatch humans right off the ground. There's, I, I was watching Wild Kratts with my son the other day. Wild Kratts, you know, he's on us. Never sure. heard of her. It's animal. Check it out, animal <laughs> show. There's some eagle that has like the largest talons in the world yeah. and it can grab a human skull. Yeah. It's like nuts. Yeah. Is there a dog that can do that? No. I'm pretty sure dogs' mouths could do that, yeah. But do they have four? I mean, there's two on a bird, right? Do are they there, have two mouths that are that big? Are there any dogs that can fly? That's a good question. <laughs> What do you think? Cool, cool topic. Um, <laughs> I would choose both. I would like to be attacked by every dog and bird. So Awesome. I like it. I like it. That's good stuff. Uh, we're going to dive into First John, and um, all the ridiculousness that comes from us will be filtered in there, and then the Bible will be the good part. So um, let's specifically talk about the historical evidence. I think this is something that's really big, especially right now. Um, what was happening in John, you had people that were in the church that, that said they were Christians, but like doubted did Jesus actually live. They doubted that like Jesus was, was the, um, who he said he was, that he did what he said he did, and they were doubting a lot of things. And I think it's really easy for us to doubt. And there's also, there's people all around that don't, don't like the idea that Jesus is God. And there's some proof and there's some evidence, I guess would be a better word, to the fact that he was who he says he was. He did what he said he did. Um, the, all, the, all the stuff lines up, and we can, we can dive into that a little bit today. You want to start with some historical and theological aspects of it? Sure. So I, I like that Pastor Peter brought up that there are certain tests that we need to pass as Christians yeah. so that we are fully engaged with what it is we say we believe. Mm-hmm. And the, the good thing is, the, I'll, I'll telegraph the punch, the Bible is reliable. It, <laughs> go ahead, complete the movement. Um, you're a personal trainer, so complete the movement. If you can't see us right now, I almost punched him in the face. It was great. Fundamentals. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it wouldn't have hurt. Though. Not at all. You're very weak. Um, <laughs> all right, we're going to get back on it. So go. the Bible is reliable. Uh, it, it does stand up to scrutiny. It's been scrutinized for thousands of years. And... The, as far as it being historically reliable, there are certain things that stay floating around in my head when I think about this topic, like 
um, just on the on the things that don't even matter theologically that the that the Bible says, just the statements it says about this town being this far from this town, like just just facts, things that are just geographical uh, statements that it says, or this person lived and this was the ruler of this place. It is spotlessly clean on on those things being accurate and every day archaeological discoveries are being made to verify certain claims that don't have like ultimate importance so on that level it, it passes historical tests um and archaeological tests it, it passes that it's so reliable question the the thought came to my mind what do you say to someone who says sure but there's been so many translations and so many revisions to the bible couldn't they just change some of those things to make sure they got them right uh, definitely a possibility, but when you scrutinize it further, that's just not what we see because we have entire Bibles from the fourth century and the third century that when you go back and you read those in the original languages and you see even amongst the, the number of translations that exist today, like you got the ESV, NIV, RSV, the, the fact that there are so many translations shows that translation is possible. Hmm. that you we still have documents in the original language and when you translate those to modern English you still have exactly I mean that's the, one of the things that's so cool about the Dead Sea Scrolls that discovery it basically says yep nothing about the Old Testament has changed from the time from what we have to what was written back then wow. I mean gigantic discoveries you can go to Dead Sea Scrolls the, the website and see that for yourself they have them on there anybody who wanted to go and say that these are false it's up there for you to do it. Yeah, but yeah, so you also have to go study the original languages if you want to be that scrutinizing. Yeah. So we, we do have to kind of give authority over to people who work in those languages and trust what they have to say about these dead languages. Um, do you speak Greek or, or Hebrew? No, I don't. Not regularly, no. So I have to go, all right, what, the, what is the consensus of those guys? Right. What are they saying? And they're verifying well, what I'm saying. That's interesting to me because I'm just, you think... Like, when you go to school and you're in history class or whatever, like how we don't actually, at least I didn't, like think this much about the stuff they're teaching, like about World War One or just any ruler or any like empire, like all the stuff that comes through, like did it actually exist the way that we think it did? Because the winner of the war back in ancient times would write the narrative of what happened. And this is like people writing stuff down while it was happening and like, within a, the same lifetime of it happening and usually the history tell me if i'm wrong here most historical documents are not written within the same lifetime or confirmed within the same lifetime. there there are many years or decades later that stuff is actually written down that we now have today right is that pretty accurate these are like very contemporary writings like it's happening while it's going on um, they don't yeah. know if they're going to win the win this or not they're just writing what's happening and like it's really that's well, fascinating to me how they, different it could be. They knew they were going to win. But, I mean, Jesus. you know what I'm saying? It wasn't but like yes, this, yes. this mega power that says, here's what happened. Here's what we said, the Roman Empire writing this down. Like, right. But it's like just a guy who's like, this is what happened. And here's all the other guys that saw it too. And it's like, it's just, it's so much more like grassroots in a way and everyday life and real life rather than some like empire coming in and like, this is what we say. This is how sure. we say it happened. Like, it's just real life and it's really. That's fascinating to me. That's what makes the Gospel of Luke special to me is because he, Luke, was not one of the eyewitnesses, but he interviewed the eyewitnesses. So here's a guy that actually went after, like, 
hey, you saw him, tell me about him. And, like, cool. and he ended up becoming a believer in the process right. of his investigation. So if you really have some questions, be like Luke and like, don't just say, I heard somebody give me an explanation right. of why it's reliable. Go do the work yourself. Hmm. Like a lot of people don't like hearing that because it means they'll have to go read a book. Oh, sorry. Sorry for such a chore. He's not we sorry. Should, I don't know why I said sorry. Yeah, that was sarcasm. <laughs> um, but if, if you're not up for doing some digging yourself, then you're not serious. Right. And this hmm. is the, the claims of Christianity are too serious to not explore, right. is my opinion. And to to that point, Pastor Peter was talking about the difference between proof and evidence. Like the only proof would be as if we physically saw it with our own eyes. So now we have the um, the duty to evaluate that evidence and right. say, all right, does this line up? That is all we can do right. today is look at evidence because there's no proof. So I know we've all had conversations with people who are skeptic or, you know, not, not believers. And they're saying, well, just prove it. Like if you, if you can prove it, then I'll believe in it. Right. But sure. it's not a fair statement to make because there is no proof to be had. You won't, we right. only have evidence to look at. So well, to the same point, like prove that Shakespeare existed. Right. You know, like, there's more proof or evidence of the like humanity and like godliness of Jesus than there was that Shakespeare is even a real person, right. which is the first time I heard that, I was like, that's insane. And then we looked at like, oh, that's something no one really thinks about. Is right. like that this could have, this, this guy, we, we take it as like one of the best um, poets of all time. Could have just been a bunch of people writing stuff together and putting it in Jesus. Like there's a lot of evidence that he right. was who, who he says he was. It all lines up from beginning to end. That's just, that's fascinating. Or even more recent people like he mentioned on Sunday, our founding fathers of this country, mm-hmm. right? Like we have not lived in the same time they did, so we have only evidence. We have things that have been written down about those people. We don't have pictures of them. Right, right. We have writings of them, yeah. and we trust those. Right. So, yeah, it's it's like this This would hold up in a court of law in, in, in proving at least a couple things, that these people said these things, and that a lot of these things took place. Now, that doesn't mean that it proves... To without a shadow of a doubt, the resurrection or things like this, like these are, you take the evidence and you draw the logical conclusion from that, right? And then even knowing God is a miraculous, like experiential thing. We'll get into experience a little bit here, but um, just something else when it comes to historical reliability. There's a a um, there are a lot of popular claims like. We can't really know if Jesus actually existed, right? You you ever hear these claims like the popular culture? can say that but when you take it to the scholarly level nobody believes that even the people that don't believe jesus was god they go of course he existed of course this jesus from nazareth was actually even crucified and like they they don't negate that one of the biggest um scholars who's not a believer but studied scripture and has studied that historical period his name is bart ehrman he wrote a book with uh bruce metzger who was a scholar at uh, Princeton University, and he, they actually co-wrote a book basically saying the Bible is reliable, hmm. and it, what it has said back then is the same as what it's saying today, hmm. they, on a scholarly level. Then Bart Ehrman goes and writes a book for the popular level, casting doubt for the popular reader. Hmm. So that makes me go, why would you write in the same year that he actually published them both in the same year? One basically saying it's reliable with Bruce Metzger, who is one of the greatest New Testament scholars of, of our time sure. or in the past hundred years. And then he, on a popular level, puts that out there to cast doubt 
on the reliability of scripture. Mm -hmm. And it's like, is there a motivation involved? Maybe he wanted to make money or something. Um, there's all, I can only speculate as to the why, but on the scholarly level, that is not something that they question. He existed, he was crucified, the tomb was empty. You yeah. draw your own conclusion as to why the tomb is empty. So I think it's, on the historical reliability thing, the, Christ, the Christian message passes the test. Yeah, that's, that's huge. Like you can see it in our culture today. Like anything that is gonna poke holes in someone else is gonna get like more views, more likes, more follows, more yeah. reads. Anything that's going to put doubt in someone's mind, like, or a conspiracy theory you're going to bring in, like, which some conspiracy theories end up being true because just no one believes them enough yet. But sure. on, on the most part, a conspiracy theory, something that poke, pokes holes in somebody else or something else, something that casts doubt on something sure. else, or just, like, just trolls somebody else, that is going to get you more views and likes and follows and money in the long run, right? Rather than somebody who's like, here's what really happened. Like, nobody really wants to hear the real story. They want this fantasy and this big thing. So I think yep. when we see something like that, we should doubt, we said that before, doubt the doubt. Like, is that actually an accurate thing? Is that actually something that is real? Or is there another motivation behind it? Sure. Is there another reason that might have happened? Um, so for some reference points, if people want to do digging on their own, FF Bruce, the New Testament. Great shovel in the garage. You guys can borrow. Yeah, like, digging, dig. if you want to literally dig. Um, F.F. Bruce, the New Testament documents, are they reliable, is a, a classic on this. Then you got Richard Bauckham, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. As if they're thick books, but yeah. it's like if you really, really have doubts and you don't go to the best works out there to that put these issues on right on point and, and address them, then again, you're not serious, right? And then uh, there's also N.T. Wright, if you want to get into the historical reliability of the resurrection. So there's some sources so, there. Question about that. Those are great resources. I'm not going against the fact that we should like research doubts and like actually dig into them. If we're, but at what point are we like creating doubts just because we feel like we need to know everything? We feel like we have to have all the research done as a Christian. Like... Do you, guys think, do you think you have to, like, if you're a Christian and you're serious and you're, like, do you, do you need to read these books? Do you have to know them? Is it, like, no. do you have to know the reasons? Or, like, you were going to talk about the experiential side of, of this. Like, John cites it a very different way. Not to say that it's wrong to have research and evidence behind it, but his, his evidence right. and research is very different than just the historical, like, or theological evidence. It's right. more... Ex yeah, it's an experience thing, and ultimately it's a faith, right? So it, it, at the end of the day, it's still us making the decision to put our faith or our trust into something based on evidence. So we're not, it's not all going to be perfect. It's not mm -hmm. all going to be laid out. What research you've done to get to that point to make the decision to put your faith in it, that's, you know, that's different for every person sure. based on their experiences. So in First John, it was pretty neat to see that um, he, he talks about different senses, like, uh, touching, seeing, hearing, it's all these different things that is describing an experience really. Mm -hmm. Like even in our everyday life, when we eat a certain food, we can know about that food, but when we taste it or eat, eat a dub, um, when we <laughs> taste it, um, it's, it's, it's different. It brings, it brings memories. You can remember what that taste is and not just know about what that food is. And it's the same mm -hmm. thing with God. It's really neat that he doesn't just limit it to knowledge. That's right. a part of it. But he's saying it's so much more than that. It's okay. it's every every part of your being, every every sense that you have, God is a part of that and in that. So. I've got an amazing thought on that. Like just perfect example. When he's smiling and saying this is gonna be amazing, it's not gonna yeah, be amazing. Yeah. So 
I hate Fruit Loops. Like, it's but, not real fruit, you know. That, right? It's not real fruit, right? But like, I thought I hated Fruit Loops because when I was a kid, my brother or myself I don't know, left the box of Fruit Loops open, right? And so they got stale and hard and gross. And so I, I poured them, I ate them, and it was I was like, oh, I had this like nasty stale taste in my mouth. So for years, decades, maybe a couple decades even, I'm like, I don't like Fruit Loops. I'm not. And I had my kids got Fruit Loops the other day at the house, and I was like. You I just really want to. I crushed some Fruit Loops, man. I just like I like I didn't get like you get like the cereal bowls. Like yeah. I got like a Tupperware bowl. I I, I finished it like Dad, where's the Fruit Loops? He's like I don't know what you're talking about. I loved them yeah. because I forgot what they actually tasted like, and I had this experience uh, of eating this these Fruit Loops, these fake fruit Fruit Loops, and they were stale and bad. And so I, I wonder how many people have this experience with God and or with church or with like the Bible and like I don't like that because it was so boring a while back. I don't like that because someone taught me the wrong way or because someone did something to me or said something right. to me and they like won't go back. I only go back to Fruit Loops for years. Yeah. It's like nope, not doing it, not doing it, not doing mm, it. Right. But like once I really experienced what they were supposed to be, I was like, yeah. okay, this is not good for right. me, yeah. but I like it. Like yeah. it's a little I mean God is good for us, right? So it's not a perfect parallel, but the same idea holds true. Like what we remember our experiences being yeah. so much different than what God really has for us sometimes. Yeah. And on the experience, I actually like that we're moving into the experiential side of this because for me, I didn't become a believer based on all that, like the research stuff that we were talking about earlier. Right. I became a believer before I did all that. Yeah. So I had an yeah. experience with God that I was like, whoa, what is this? That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. But as I grow and I interact, like the more I tried evangelizing and taking my Christianity outside of my little circle and I took it out into the world, I started being uh, confronted with questions that they yeah. had and accusations against the Bible. And so it drove me deeper into the Bible and into study. And it just, it actually grew my faith because I was like, man, this experience wasn't just something that I believed in my heart and didn't make sense in my mind either. It bridged that gap. So That's now huge. I'm like, now I'm like, my claws are in. Yeah. And it's like, good luck moving me out of this. Go ahead and give it a shot. Right. But I am, I'm like so much more convinced because my experience and, and truth right. from historical Line study, they, they just have now interlocked. And it's like, man, this is amazing. So yeah. to, to speak to the experience. Yeah. And how man. good is our God that he doesn't just say, all right, here's the Bible. Take it or leave it. Believe it or not type thing. But he's willing to let us experience him in every aspect of our right. of our being, of our body. Yeah. And um, he doesn't have to do that, but he does it out of love. And to your point, it deepens our faith or brings people to faith. Like I'm in the same boat as you. I didn't have it all figured out and said, all right, I'm going to be a Christian today. I didn't know crap about God, but I, I, I experienced him. I felt his love. I saw what he did for me on the cross. And I'm like, okay, I I know he loves me. I'm, I'm willing to give up everything to, to follow him. And then that knowledge came and and was supplemented after. But, um, so cool that it's not just limited to knowledge, but it's an experience. And we've seen, I mean, We've been in church for years and we see people that experience God and people who know about God. And true, more often than not, the people that stick it out and go through tough times and are willing to take on offenses and not let them push, push them out of the church body are the people that have experienced God. Mm-hmm. But people that just leave it to knowledge and knowing about God but never experiencing yeah. him. It's quick to go. And I, I hate that. I feel bad for those people that because they're never going to find their roots. They're never going to find a church body. But 
if they have something like a, a moment in their life where they experience yeah. God, that's what they hold on to during tough times. It's not just like, all right, yeah, I know what the Bible says, but like, no, I experienced God in this tough time and I'm not going yeah. anywhere. You know, that that's yeah. what keeps us grounded. I'm actually thinking as you're saying that I cannot remember, maybe I just don't have enough experience in this myself. I cannot remember one time that I've walked through someone who someone who had actual, and maybe I'm just not good enough at it, or maybe I haven't done it enough. Someone who had doubts and wasn't a Christian because of all these le- like legitimate doubts or, or like critiques of the Bible. So we walk through his. Now I've done this before, but I don't. This ever I've never seen it. They say, oh, "Okay, I believe now," and they become a Christian. Right. So it, it's so. I think knowing that you said knowing that stuff is really important. Has that ever happened? You guys ever had that happen where you like talk through somebody and you're like they're like not maybe not one sitting, but you're like okay. Mm-hmm. It takes it. It's, it's an. It's, it's not very often though, right? Like, it's like, it, how many times does that happen where you talk to somebody and like, they're like, well, hey, I have these serious problems with Christianity, I don't believe it, and actually honest questions. Like, most of the time you get questions like that or doubts like that, some, in my experience, something else has happened to that person Correct. where they don't trust people or they don't trust their parents or they don't trust God or they don't trust the church because something has happened to them. Right. And so they've got all these lists of like, well, the historical, the theological, all these tests, like as important as they are. Sure. Like they, they almost put them up as a wall. Like there's no way you can prove this. So just this right. don't get close to me with God. Right. And you walk through every and you answer all the questions and they still say, well, and then they come up with another one. So I've never seen personally someone that I've walked through that with where they actually said, okay, now I believe. And maybe I just haven't found an honest person. I'm just not good at it. But like, is that happening to you? Is it? I've, I've had it a handful of times and it's not like one conversation where I go, see, this is, this is, and then right. they, it's actually like something that uh, um, I heard. Uh, I'm blanking on his name, but uh, an apologetics guy. Like I, I, I'm really into apologetics. So this apologist, his whole approach to evangelism is just to put apologizing a pebble. to people. All yeah, the time. just I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's, it's true, but I'm Believe sorry. In Jesus. Um, it's not he, apologetics, is right? Really. He, like this whole going through the the hard questions with people. He's like, I just want to put a pebble in their shoe. I want to give them something to think about. I, I can't seal the deal necessarily every time with like getting somebody to the place where they're going to believe. Yeah. But I can put a pebble in their shoe, something yes. that they can walk away thinking about. And I have with, uh, I can name them all right now, but I'll protect their identities. Um, a handful of people that have said those conversations were crucial for me to, to make a decision. Yes. Right. hundred yeah. percent. So not to interrupt what you're doing, but I'm going to interrupt what you're saying. Go ahead. Um, as a guy in my class, when I was in college, atheist, mm-hmm. And we talked through, he had doubts about it. We talked through and answer questions. We go through it all and ends up coming to our church, joining our small group, like being a big part of our church in a big way. But what got him, what he said made him, made him believe was not all of my, again, maybe I've got bad answers. <laughs> this is a me problem here. But not all my answers are all the proof that we showed, that I showed him or evidence that I showed him. But I invited him out to a prayer night or prayer it was early morning intercession we just go and pray and i said hey we meet at 6 a.m you want to come pray with us and he would come every week yeah. and he wouldn't pray and then we'd pray for him at the end and he would leave and we would leave and he said that that's what did it for me and i was like really like you were yeah. like why why did you even come like you didn't believe and he said i just felt love when i was there i felt like peace and i never felt that before and so then he went like because he was had all these atheistic doubts and thoughts and beliefs about God, he would say, okay, well, I felt that. I've never felt that anywhere else. So now maybe this doesn't line up. He went and researched for himself and found the answers. 
Which I thought was really cool. So yeah, in a way, he took it upon himself to go read like yeah. C.S. Lewis's works and things like, real like that. Real stuff, yeah. yeah. Like instead of Richard Dawkins, he'd go mm-hmm. say, "I want to see his Lewis actually say, yeah. what does the Bible actually say?" Right, rather than all these right. other other things. Which so nine times out, maybe more than nine times out of ten, that's what I see happen. Is there's like a, a question or a doubt leads into the conversation, an experience actually pulls you into God, right. Right. and then they follow up with like, "Oh well." Yeah. But I had this thought before. How do, does it not still line up? And they would go figure that thing out. You know. I love how you've positioned it because it's like you could clinically go through and deal with all these questions, but like that doesn't that doesn't like always translate to the person in front of you. Like they wanted, they got an experience of love from Ryan too. That like patience, grace, all that stuff was being doled out on them while still interacting with them. And if that's if it's if that's stripped away, and you're just like, well, here's the answer. Here's the, that's not how people interact and like God is a person and he wants to interact with us personally. So it's like, you can't just go ace a theological test and a historical test. And that does it for you. You're interacting with a person. Well, the time I didn't know what to do, I was like, I don't have answers for this guy. Um, he's smarter than me. Um, Hey, we pray every, every Tuesday morning. You want to come join us? (laughs) He said, yes. And I was like, why is he coming? I don't know what's going on. (laughs) And then he believed in God. It was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. So, all right, so experience. Do you have any more thoughts on that, or do you have like on that note? I um I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller recently, and he was talking to the non-believers that go go to his church in, in New York, and he encouraged the non-believers to attend the worship services. To that point, you probably never thought he would say yes. Like, why would a non-believer come to a prayer meeting, yeah. or why would a non-believer um go to a worship meeting or or, or worship conference? And it. Though I think it comes all the way back to it's an opportunity for an experience. Like the spirit of God is there, yeah. moving can work on a work is on this a actually, They actually believe what they say they believe. Right. Like, even if it's not for like we're not teaching, it's not an evangelistic thing. We're like, hey, you need to like I need to see what like what's behind the curtain right. here. Like, do they actually believe what they say they believe? They're actually doing this thing. Like yeah. that's that's special. Plus, if you're considering Christianity, go and see what worship looks right. like. So that's part of what you're yeah. looking at. Like, yeah, you should not feel like you can't see into any aspect of what this is. Right. For sure. So I love yeah. that. It's not Scientology, right? You don't have to pay to get to the next level up here. It's like... <laughs> but, uh... No. <laughs> it's not, not but. There's no buts. It's just not that. It's not that at all. <laughs> he tried to make a joke. It's not going to be a funny joke if we're stopping it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll drop it. <laughs> so then the last, the, the last part of that test is... Um, well, actually... I guess we kind of talked a little bit about the, the morality of it, but the, the social aspect of it where the rubber meets the road, right? So we can know about the Bible. We can know what it says. We can um, read that it says, love your neighbor, love your love the brothers and, and sisters in Christ. But then when we actually are faced with an opportunity to do that or where our faith is tested, right? Because we don't really know till that thing presents itself we can say yeah of course i'll love my brother in that situation but until us an offense takes place and you have to still choose to love them even though they're mm-hmm. upset with you um that's where that's where our faith is tested so um i thought that was a great point on 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 sunday and very challenging are we loving one another are we quick to let an offense go and and you know edify our, our brothers and sisters and encourage them or are we holding on to uh, offenses and not not lifting each other up in the yeah. church. And I believe he was talking out of chapter three of First John with, about like loving your your brothers right. and sisters in Christ. It's like that's that's a mandate. You, you don't get to w- wiggle out of that. Right. One. You have to love them. And one of the things 
Oh, it's in chapter two. Good. Um, I can be wrong. It's fine. <laughs> it's possible. Um, I got the book right. <laughs> the chapter, not so much. But um, God is a social God, and we're made in His image. We we are wired to be social and to love our our neighbor, our our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think that that it's it's awesome because number one, it's a reflection of who God is. Yeah. And um, number two, it's like, okay, how do I how do I actually engage in loving my neighbor or loving my enemy? That's the other thing. We're also told to love our enemies. Right. Um, that's the only way to do that is to be around them. You've got to be in their lives and know them. Mm-hmm. And I like that it's the the command is to love. The command is not to like, because <laughs> there are many people that I've loved. I do not like them. In mm-hmm. fact. I don't like who I was when I wasn't a Christian. Like if I were to interact with that guy, he'd rub me wrong. He would, he'd annoy me. Sometimes I don't like you now. I know. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's obvious on your face. No. Um, but like the, the, the liking comes after, right? Like you, you don't go and love somebody because they're lovable. You love them even in the face of them not being lovable. Right. The demand yeah. supersedes it. Man. So, and but, it doesn't give disclaimers either. It doesn't say if they're going to take advantage of them, then you can stop loving them. It just simply says to love them. It's almost the opposite, right? right? Like, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. it says you love someone who's going to love you back or you help someone who's going to help you back. Like, what benefit is that? But love right. people who won't, who can't, who basically will take advantage yeah. of you, right? Like right. And to your point, which is the gospel, right? Like, that yeah. was us to Jesus, yeah. and he chose to love us while we were yeah. in our sin. All right, um, so I got a couple challenging things here that I want to talk through. He says... Um, if we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This is like, so in context, this is written to believers in Jesus. It's not like, hey, you sinner out there, or someone who doesn't, you non believer out there. Like, what? It's not like this, come in here because you're in the darkness. You're lying to think that you're, like, this is written to somebody who says they follow God, right? And then he says, um, I write this. I write these things so you will not sin. And he says it again, like, if you, if you hate your brother, you're in the darkness and there's no light in you. It's like he fully expects people, it seems like, not to sin and not to fall into darkness. And he does say, but if you do, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is our righteousness. He's our advocate. He is the propitiation for our sin. He made a way and has that great exchange. Like, I've, I've heard this so much and it bothers me like it like grieves me in a way when people are like well everybody sins well nobody can be perfect and it's like true but when we like accept that and believe like John's not just like hey guys everybody sins but when you do make sure you go back and just like uh, say a prayer like he's like I'm writing this so you will not sin if you sin you're in the dark like it's like it's like it hurts him to think that we would sin yeah. and like if that's not our attitude, if that's not our heart, that like I'm broken over my sin, that like maybe you, you hate this thought when I'm saying this, but like the idea of like we should have this thought in our head that we're not going to fall into sin, right? And I don't mean that in like this legalistic Pharisee way where you have to do everything perfect, but like to the point where 
when I do sin and when I do mess up, which is probably going to be before I walk out this door, like you messed it, up while you were in here. Yeah, I, did, I already did. Like it would, it would grieve me like it grieves the Holy yeah. Spirit. It would hurt me like it hurts Him. Rather than like, well, everybody does it. So like, I only had one today. I only had ten today. It's not a big yeah. deal. I was better than I was yesterday. Because that's in the Bible. That's not even the Bible. Like, it's not. It's not this scale of like I was better than I was yesterday. It's. It might, you said this like last week or a couple weeks ago. The Christian life is about surrendering, mm-hmm. and like when I sin, it's it's like I'm. I'm in the darkness, and I want to surrender to Him all over again. I want to be... Now, we can get into theological disagreement. Does that mean you're not saved anymore? I don't, I don't think that's the case. But, like, is our heart... I want to surrender that all my life all over again. I want to get. I want to be born again all over again. Whatever that thought is. Like, that, yeah. that, if that's not the desire of our heart, like, man, something's wrong. Yeah, I, I see it as John is confronting... The, the false idea that there's like a dualism to your life. You can call yourself a Christian, but you don't live it at all. There's no evidence right. in your life. And he's like, that is untenable. You can't do that. And he's elevating the the, the horrific consequences of sin. Right. This can is you so say bad. dualism, what are you saying? Where, where you're living one thing, like a double but line. you're saying, yeah. The, the, he's, he's confronting that dualistic so way. This, that this was me in high school. Yeah. Like, I would go to youth group. And at school, at baseball practice, whatever, I was a different person. And at youth group, I was Christian, whatever I knew that to be. And then at school, I was not that. Like two different, you're saying two different lives. Yep. Yeah. And you can call yourself a thing or put a label on yourself. It doesn't make you the thing. Hmm. And so he's going, he's saying, I'm, I'm calling you to a real clear-eyed, no rose-colored lenses on this. This is what sin is. It's destructive. It kills let's 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 part ways with that yeah and when you do sin because we are fallen it is not this thing where you take it lightly like paul in other letters says let's not trample the son of god underfoot like don't go haphazardly into sin and and justify yourself there's there's a there's a heart attitude that john gets at and it's a heart of repentance like yeah you're gonna mess up But repenting is is our way to deal with it. Right. And he kind of reminds me a little bit of John the Baptist, the one that was beheaded by Herod, right? Where John came out preaching a, a message of repentance, right? And so John is kind of like, yeah, the repentance is still on point. It's good. Depart from sin. Not because we can, re- retain, you know, achieve right. sinless perfection. Right. Like it's, that's not possible right. in this life. And if we look at what sin is, like John is describing it as like a personal offense towards God. And he personally knew Jesus, personally experienced Jesus. Wow. Where we, you know, he spent time with him. He rested his head on his chest. Mm. So to, and he saw with his own eyes what Jesus went through. So how, in that, there's no wonder this is his view on what sin is. Cause it's like, man, I saw what he did. How could I ever do anything that doesn't honor that, that doesn't reflect him and love him mm. I can't bring myself to do that because I saw it. And then we look at our lives or, or people today and no wonder we don't have that same mindset because we've distanced ourselves from Jesus. We don't view sin as a personal Man. offense towards God. We've sugarcoated it. We, we've done whatever to it. And, and he's saying, no, like it is, Jesus is the reason. Yeah. He's taken the, the, the finger off of, even off of himself with this sin. It's like, like instead of I don't want to feel too bad or I don't want to be depressed or I don't yeah. we we don't want to make other people feel like 
bad about their, their life or their sin or depressed or anxious or whatever, but like, no, it's him. Like, yeah. my sin affects, I, I knew him right. and I still know him and yeah. my sin affects, that's so good. Yeah, so we it's have to do everything changing. we can to view Jesus the same way John did, right? And that changes our mindset on what sin is. It changes our mindset on why he had to go to the cross. And we talk about this all the time. It's out of reverence for what Christ did on the cross. Like that's that's why we decide to do something or not do it. It's out of reverence for Him, and He had that was something that was secure in His heart. And wow. you know, we have to strive to to have that same thing. So that's amazing. That's Man, a big thought. It's a big thought. I think that's where we wrap up today. Um, guys, go read First John one and two. Uh, that's where we kind of pulled this stuff out today, and uh, and dive into it. Uh, it's, it's one thing to go back and nitpick all your sin, but I found when you actually get into the Bible and see what God says, he will pull it out of you anyway. He'll show you where you're, what he wants to do with you. So get in the Bible, see what he wants to do, view it like a mirror into your soul, into the depths of your soul, and have fun with that. It's going to be good. We'd like to thank our sponsors, uh, Mansion Windows and Doors and Fruit Loops. This episode brought to you by Stale Fruit Loops, guys. Have a great day. Please pay us, Fruit Loops. See ya! And Fruit Loops. <laughs>